Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. This show will begin shortly after these messages from our advertisers. Advertising is what keeps the show alive. Your support means they'll continue to advertise and the podcast will continue to be free. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you in bad pain? You know what I mean. Your knees hurt, your shoulder hurts, and your back. Oh my God, your back. They're constantly killing you. And I'm sure you've tried every pain pill or cream available at the drugstore. Am I right? Well, here is something you haven't tried. Pain Absolve. Pain Absolve is not available in any drugstore. The only way to get it is by calling today. We're so confident that it will work for you that we offer a free bottle with your purchase. No prescription needed. And best of all, each purchase comes with a money-back guarantee. Call now to find out how you can get Pain Absolve and get rid of your pain. Call 800-261-0783. That's 800-261-0783. 800-261-0783. Call today. 800-261-0783. Are you lacking a little something between paranormal and abnormal? You need the Into the Parabnormal store. Now open at parabnormalradio.com. From hoodies to shirts, accessories, and our digital music library, it's all available in the Into the Parabnormal store. Your purchase directly helps support the show. Thanks for buying from the Into the Parabnormal store at parabnormalradio.com.
Bigfoot all weekend. It was so fun last night at the Squatch Fest up in Longview, Washington. Talked with so many fun, interesting people. We're going to keep the Bigfoot theme going on tonight. You know, Bigfoot is something that was widely known and first witnessed by the Native Americans, of course. And these stories of encounters will go back well over a 100 years. Many times, these stories are told by Native American elders. Tonight, we have Bigfoot guide and member of the Yakima Nation tribe, Mel Skahan here. He's going to tell us about some of the history and about a nest of hair that he believes is from Sasquatch. Mel was raised in the woods on the Yakima Reservation, where he heard stories as a child of Bigfoot, but it wasn't until working in Bigfoot country for the Forest Service that his mind changed. He was recently seen on Travel Channel's Expedition Bigfoot in an episode called The Nest. Mel Skahan, welcome into the Parabnormal. I should say welcome back. Oh, yeah, well, thank you for inviting me back. We've crossed past a couple of different times with the Oregon Bigfoot Festival, and uh, we did a couple of small interviews there for for the uh, the audience uh, in attendance and everything, so I'm glad that uh, I'm here to be uh, on your show again. Yeah, and it's my pleasure as well. Of course, Mel is also one of the co-hosts of the Bigfoot Beast Mode show up on the reservation at the uh, local radio station uh, there. What was it like growing up as you heard these stories uh, of Bigfoot tales? I had an awesome childhood within um, Native American community here on on the Yakima Reservation. Today, we don't have that representation of the elders that we did in the past. And what I mean by that is my great-great-grandparents, you know, we didn't have Internet. We hardly had TV, you know, three, three channels at the most. So, you know, they they grew up in the 30s and the 40s themselves. And as I was growing up, my parents sent me out to the woods with them all the whole summer. I was never around uh, the, the lower valley here where the main population of the reservation is located. I was isolated up there with my great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents. And uh, I had the best childhood ever because he would share the local knowledge, the you know, the history of areas, and he would tell us of different stories. And in, the biggest problem that I have is that as a kid, you know, you listen to the stories, you 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 you, you kind of forget it, and you want to go out and play because you're you know that's what you want to do, especially in the in the vast um, mountainous areas that I I I I got to spend the whole summers in as a kid, and uh, so. I I got to stay out there and really get, catch the the whole environment that he was trying to teach me, and I'm glad for it. He would tell me stories of Sasquatch and Bigfoot, and then he would tell us tell us kids. You know, there were three of us, three three boys at the time, and he would say, "Here, take the rifle, go get us something to eat," and then we'd go off go off into the woods, and we we're like, "All right, well." Are we going to run into this big hairy guy out here? I mean, what's going to happen? And you're, you know, you're you're less than twelve years old when you're out here walking around and doing all that stuff. And so it was always on my mind. Did you ever have an encounter in all those years out there? No, no, no. I, I not not as a a, a child, or not as a teen, but as an adult, I did. And that was that was coming back from working with the Forest Service. I, we come across prints in the Forest Service, but this was in the latter 80s, early 90s, 
and it really wasn't talked about then. There was a local person in the Carson, Washington area that would say, you know, allowed different stories or encounters that people were having. But I was a skeptic then, and, you know, I I didn't want to stand out by telling anybody about seeing these these couple of prints that we did come across because I didn't want to be laughed at. I was afraid of it. And then when I come back to, and then when I left the Forest Service and then started working for the Acquisition Forestry Program, that's when um, the, the woods started meaning a different thing with me after uh, having my first vocalization encounter with one and then seeing the footprints in the snow, finding a, a nest basically built out of out of snow and uh, and then having a visual. Uh, so, I mean, it's been a great forestry career being outside all the time with them. Were, were they primarily called Bigfoot back in the day, or did they go by a different name uh, among the locals? Within the Acma Reservation, there's multiple names for them, and uh, there's somewhere right around four for the for the for the the Sasquatch themselves, and um, for the big people as well. Which you know, we have a legend of, of a giant woman here that used to roam the reservation, and then she had a basket, and uh, she would collect anybody that was wandering by themselves and then you would never see those people again uh, she just you know used them as her food source and uh, so when you get told stories and legends like that as a kid then you you don't want to walk around anywhere uh, outside um in the closed what we call the closed area and uh, afraid that that may happen still so there was there was a feeling that it could happen to you, even though you at that time hadn't experienced it yourself until later in life. Yes, yes, that, 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 that was that was always in the in the back of my mind. But once your wood education and uh, knowledge starts to to grow, then you begin to understand the, the movements of the different animals, uh, the different types of growing seasons, and the 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 possibilities of noticing movements of Sasquatch with the animal population, with the weather, with the elevation. And once you learn your traditional medicines on the reservation, then you kind of get this feeling and understanding that um, Sasquatch themselves, you know, understand when these foods present themselves to us and then are able to go out and collect themselves, whether it be down here in the sagebrush areas or, you know, going higher up in the elevations where all the berries, berries grow. We're talking with Mel Skahan. He's a Bigfoot guide. He's a forester. He's a uh, member of the Yakima Nation tribe. Talking Native American Bigfoot tonight. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Are you connected with us on social media? Give us a like and follow at Parabnormal Show. Tired of overpaying for the little blue pill? What if you could get the exact same results for just a fraction of the price? Guaranteed. Well, now you can with Sildenafil, the active ingredient in the blue pill. 
With 20 milligram generic sildenafil tablets, you get the exact same results for less than $2 per pill. And again, the results are guaranteed. That's right, absolutely guaranteed results for a fraction of the cost of the little blue pill. So give your wallet a break and call us toll-free at 800-367-9583 to get your generic sildenafil delivered discreetly to your door. And of course, while saving hundreds of dollars, you'll also be saving time by saying goodbye to those long, embarrassing pharmacy lines once and for all. Again, just call 800-367-9583 to get your generic sildenafil with a 100% money-back guarantee. Getting your pills doesn't get any easier or cheaper than this, so call 800-367-9583 now. Originating from a remote location, nearly as top secret as Area 51. Yeah, and if you believe that, you'll really like this show. Into the Paranormal. It's Native American Bigfoot tonight. My guest is Mel Scahan. He is a Bigfoot guide, member of the Yakima Nation tribe, and one of the co-hosts of the Bigfoot Beast Mode show on KYNR on the Yakima Nation Reservation. Uh, he was telling us about the legends, uh, which he would learn to be something uh, more than a legend after time working for the Forest Service. What kinds of things were you finding that started uh, your belief that there was something to this whole Bigfoot thing that you've been hearing about since a child? What solidified it for me was when I was working uh, in the snow on the job. What I was first looking at were impressions in the snow that were pretty large in size, right around 30 inches long. And they were about as long as the snowshoes that I was wearing. And as, as I walked into the drainage out of the sun and into the shadows, then these impressions started shrinking, uh, but not by much, but they be started to become clearer. To, to the point where you could see toes. And then once I got down into the drainage uh, out of full sunlight and into the full shadow, then I was able to see each individual toe and then see the shape of, of the left and right foot. And then that's when I began to um, basically try to follow that movement of where he was going and and. The reason that they're so elusive is that they're so careful in where where they go. Uh, one is, I, I came across a family unit that day, uh, a, a male, a female, and a child. And I followed the male who was looking out for the rest of his, his, his family members. And um, watching him go from, like, tree to tree, uh, scoping out the, the, the landscape ahead of him, and then just going, moving that way, and then the other two were down in the, further down into the drainage, and you could see the different the different size foot that was following the creek bed, and then the, the little one that was uh, like, a, like an infant, and uh, he, I don't know if I want to call him a little one, but um, his, his foot size was the same size as mine, and I have a size 8 foot. And he was going about all over the place and then uh, playing on the trees that were falling over. And as I followed him around, he came back down and met up with the mother. And then he broke off away from her again. And then uh, the mom 
just stayed right alongside to where she could have him in view at all times. While up uh, up above them was the uh, the male, and he had a size 22, 22 inch in length foot, and I mean it was it, it was a huge foot, and um, and then the the third one, the mother, she had a an eighteen inch length foot, so a twenty two inch, an eighteen inch, and then an, uh, a size eight foot um, as as the little one. And I, I, I watched each personality of all three, the protector, the father, the mother watching out for the child, and then the child being, you know, a, a free-going child who was kept, kept in view at all times. And once that was all done with, I started to, you know, I, I couldn't understand what I was, I was looking at because this is really the first thing that solidified to me that they were out there. And when I decided that I'd had enough of what I was looking at, I started walking back to my work truck, which was about a mile, mile and a half away. And I came across, and I don't, I don't hear very many researchers out there that have seen uh, a nest in the snow. And I call this this area that they were in, their bedding area, they had pushed almost two feet of snow out. And it was about it was about 10 feet across, and it was about 15 feet in, in length. Like they were their and own so snow plow. Yes, they were their own snow plow, and they pushed everything out down to the vegetation. Not all the snow. There was still some there. And they had been there for a long time. And I could say that I went to the edges of the snow that they pushed out, and I ran my hand all the way around it, and you could feel you could feel the body heat that had created the ice, and then you could also I could also feel the texture or the hair that uh, associated with them laying on these berms. Any other uh, physical uh, evidence? Or anything that you witnessed as they heard or saw or smelt? Uh, yeah, um, I've smelt them once down in California on an expedition that I was with with uh, another group. Uh, that was the only time I really smelled them, that that pungent, that putrid, really strong smell. I've come across different types of odors here on the reservation uh, that... Um, is similar was similar to that smell that I came across, but not as strong as that that, that first one. And uh, we've heard multiple uh, vocalizations out there that uh, are associated with them, with the long howls that almost last about twenty seconds, and then the loud, sharp shrieks that uh, a lot of the females make. Because you can tell the difference in the two is 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 by you know, male voice being deeper and then a female voice being uh, more higher pitched. And then you can kind of get that from the vocalizations that we, we hear when we're traveling around the reservation. And then the wood knocks, and uh, let's see, what, and the whistling is really distinctive as well. And so I've, I've, I've come across the whole, the, the whole gambit, I guess, of, of vocalizations and uh, of, of all these uh, Sasquatches in different areas on the Yakima Reservation. And you've also had things thrown at you. 
Yes, sir. I've had sticks thrown at me. I've had pine cones thrown at me. I've had uh, pebbles thrown thrown my direction, and um, with uh, nobody else being around and uh, me being in the only area because I'm usually the first one out. Uh, that's uh, what my work duties uh, prize of is, is that I'm usually out there doing all the timber cruising or measuring of the trees in the area and finding out what what uh, we have out on the landscape. What about um, your coworkers? Did I mean besides uh, the, the the story you told us about before? Did did your did your coworkers say they had also um, seen evidence that something was out there with them? Yes, I have one coworker with me. He's uh, he's brand new to forestry. And just finished his degree up, and he he was um, detailed to me for two summers. And the first summer, I would. And he's from Oklahoma, and uh, he's he's about twenty twenty three years old now. I don't and, know. Are there uh, any Bigfoot in Oklahoma? Yeah, he 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 says that he's heard stories, but he's never come across any evidence of anything of of Bigfoot nature. And it wasn't until he came to the Yakima Reservation and started working with me, then you know he's like, oh, okay, well, you know that how could be associated with a with a wolf or or a coyote, and I, you know. I, I, I asked the I asked him the questions of what he thinks it is. I have him go through all the known animals that he's heard, and I don't specifically tell him this big, but I want his thought processes to, to try to understand the the different pitches and and lengths of what he's hearing. And uh, so he's heard vocalizations, uh, and then his second year with me, we had a camping outing for work that we um, drove way back uh, into the far reaches of the higher elevations of the reservation to, to uh, get a job done. And so we were camping out there and the first, the first day we were okay. And it wasn't until the second day when um, I started hearing this high pitched whistle that he, I asked him, I go, what do you think it was? And he goes, that sounds like birds. And I said, okay, well, let's just keep going on and then see if you can continue with that thought. And uh, then he started hearing more and more of these whistles going on. And then he he come to me about a half hour later, and he says, "Those aren't birds. Birds don't sound like that. They don't have that that deep tone that these things have that he was listening to." I had him um, make sure that you know what he was hearing was his own thoughts. And then it wasn't until we returned to camp that night, uh, and then uh, got back and relaxed and made dinner and um, got ready for the next day. And just as the sun went down, right around 9 o'clock, I had heard a powerful wood knock come from the north. And uh, he didn't hear it, but I turned to him and I said, we're going to have visitors tonight. And so he, you know, um, went to bed, and then he had his tent, and I had my tent about it was about 30, 35 feet away from him. And um, that whole evening, after that wood knock, I could hear them approach into through the timber. And they started whistling. They started chattering. There was more wood knocking. There was whooping. And uh, this was going all the way around the camping area that we right. were in. We'll hold that thought. Sounds like they're being surrounded by Sasquatches. It's open hunting, well, 
out in the middle of nowhere. Mel Skahan, my guest. I'm Jeremy Scott. Nowhere being the Yakima Reservation. Back after this. Into the Paranormal is streaming 24-7 on the TuneIn Radio app and at ParanormalRadio.com. Abnormal News. I'm Brad Bernards. Beetlejuice keeps getting dimmer, and everyone is wondering what exactly that means. Universe Today reports the star will go supernova at the end of its life, but that's not projected to happen for tens of thousands of years or so. So what's causing the dimming? Villanova University astronomers Edward Geenan and Richard Wasatonic were the first to report Betelgeuse's recent dimming. In a new post on the Astronomer's Telegram, the pair of astronomers report a further dimming of Betelgeuse. They also point out that although the star is still dimming, its rate of dimming is slowing. Betelgeuse is a red supergiant star in the constellation Orion. Villagers in northeastern Thailand have again hung red shirts in front of their houses, believing it will ward off being attacked by the widow's ghost following the deaths of 13 people in the past three months. Thirteen men aged 17 through 60 have died. Local residents believe the ghost of a widow took their lives. The most recent death was that of a 60-year-old villager said to be strong and healthy. He was found lying unconscious one day on a village road and died shortly afterwards. Read the news at ParaAbnormalRadio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, ParaAbnormal News. Whatever you do, prepare yourself for what's coming through your speakers into the pair of normal. Yeah, I'd be hiding under my blankets if I was camping and I started hearing the whooping and the knocking and just being rambunctious and the circling effect making it appear like I was being surrounded by Sasquatches. All right, now that we have that in our minds, let's get back to Mel Skahan. Uh, who was telling us about this encounter that he and a co-worker had, a rather new co-worker to forestry and certainly to the world of Bigfoot, while in the very, very back woods of the reservation. Uh, continue, Mel, please. And, and so um, as they were coming in and, and, cut, and staying around the camp, I could hear them whistling, knocking, um, and then whooping and then knocking. So there was at least four of them. That were surround that had surrounded our, our camping area, and then this went on for at least two and a half three hours, and I could just hear the chattering and all this communication that was going all the way around our camping area. And what I didn't know was that my coworker, who was in his tent, 
he slept with earphones in, so he was listening to music, and he he wasn't he wasn't getting this whole plethora of activity that was going on around us. And then I was like, said said in my mind, said, I I've got to get up early in the morning, and I I'm going to go to bed now. And so I I started to fall asleep, and then just as when I fell asleep, like around twelve thirty, then that's when he woke up. And then he took his earphones out, and he was telling me this the next day. He immediately heard what I was hearing. He could hear one moving as it closed in on his tent. He could hear it walking on the outside of his tent where he was camped by the timber. And then he could hear the whistling, and then he could hear the wood knocking. Then he could hear what was um, distinct, um, like a language, but he couldn't He couldn't. Uh, understand what was going on. He, it sounded like a, um, a foreign language to him as the chattering and everything else that was happening uh, in the three other areas around his around the camping area, and then he still had the one that was right behind his tent. And he had heard this from when he woke up at uh, right around 12.30, 12.45, and it, they stayed around our camping area the whole night into the next morning right around 4, right around 4.30. And when my alarm went off at 5 o'clock, then he was like, he was glad that it was my alarm clock had gone off because that's when all the activity stopped. And he came out of the tent and he came over and he met me outside of my tent and then he started to explain to me that everything that he had heard that whole night, and he couldn't wait for my alarm clock to go off because uh, he wanted that that night to end because of just unbelievable activity that was going on. Yeah, so that was probably his moment where he went from uh, these are birds to, oh my gosh, uh, Mel's not crazy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, he became a full-on believer after that. And he was more of aware of his surroundings uh, the the next the next work day while we were out there, and so I was waiting for the next night to follow, and so we come back in from the field and then back to the camping area, you know, cleaned up, uh, changed our clothes, and then had dinner, and then nine o'clock rolled around again, and then another wood knock started, boom, and he heard it that night. And then he's like, are they coming back? And I was like, well, who knows? It, it could happen again. It could be a repeat of the first night. And so he goes into his tent, I go into my tent, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the more, the same type of activity that we experienced the first night. And right about 15 minutes after we turned in, then I could hear a vehicle come in and I was like, who's, who's coming up this road? We barely baited up this road ourselves in our 4x4 vehicles, and we have a worn winch in front of it in case we run into any problems. And so I can hear a vehicle coming in, and then I saw the headlights go right by our camp, and then that's when all the activity stopped. And um, uh, later found out, who was there and it was a different program that was doing owl protocol. And then about five minutes after they went by our camp, you could hear them hooting around for owls, which really killed all, well, killed all our activity that we were going to have the second night. So if they hadn't showed up, we would have had the same type of 
uh, activity the second night, and who knows if they would have taken it a little bit further. And so because of that, you believe that, that these creatures thought that you and your coworker were asleep because as soon as there was any activity, this car coming in or your alarm going off, uh, it, it just stopped because they didn't want to be seen. They didn't want to be seen or they didn't want to be heard, yes. They're very, that's how elusive that they and how careful that uh, they are when they approach people that are in, in that camping situations out, out in the woods and how silent and we watched one one that went by our tent while we were camping uh with i was camping with my wife in uh, northern washington we saw his shadow right outside the tent on a full moon and it took him almost 10 minutes to go about eight to ten feet before he cleared his shadow cleared our tent and that's how quiet they can be and how um oh what's the word how Stealth. Well, I guess <laughs> stealth, stealthy, yeah, stealthy, and how patient they are at not wanting to be detected. Yeah, Mel, do you think that they were aware that you guys were there, or were they just going about their business in the middle of the woods like, you know, Bigfoot doing in the middle of the night? In the camping situation with my partner, the work situation, um, I've collected a lot of stories in that area. And, you know, this opening where we camped, there was previous camping items there before campfire ring and all this other other, other items that showed people, you know, frequent, well, not frequent, but, but were in the area before. And so, you know, they know the area. They know how to approach those camping areas. And that's what I always tell people when they, when they, when you go out to areas in the, in the woods, look around at the, at the history of the area. Has people camped here before? And, Go around and, and and get your knowledge of that camping spot, and then you'll pick up little signs that they they know that that camping area is there. So, Mel, uh, tell us about the nest. You found it there in the snow. When I first found that, I didn't know what it was. It could have been an elk. You know, it could have been a bear. Uh, could have been any known animal that had done this. But there was snow in the in the in this pushed out area. And you could see the footprints of all three of them in there. And you could see the footprints outside the burned area. So they were there for a while. And I never thought about collecting any type of evidence or anything else like that because this is, was basically one of my really, really most intense encounters of, of my visual of seeing all this. So you found this nest uh, there in the snow. It appeared as if um, whoever put it there uh, had kind of snow plowed the area and kind of flattened the snow. Um, how big was this nest? Um, it was about 10 feet across and uh, inside, and then in, uh, it was about 15 feet in length. And um, I didn't measure it or anything like that. I was just able to walk around through there, and then when I later found out as I was standing there was why was this nest located where where I found it um, forestry was logging at that time and then there was one oh, there was only one plowed road in the area and um, as I was standing there trying to figure this out then I saw well I heard the logging truck go by first and then I barely even seen it go by through the thick timber and then when I walked out away from the nest onto the road, and then look back if somebody's traveling 
five miles an hour or even 30 miles an hour, they they wouldn't be able to see that that uh, nest where that nest location was at from from that vantage point. And so what what they what I came up with is that they they strategically put that there so that they could see all the activity going in and out of the road and then be safe where they were at and then venture off, you know, away from their their little home that they were uh, they were at and then be comfortable for however long and then little low me comes along and then messes the whole thing up and, and they, they must have moved on someplace else. And so what happens next will continue the story of the nest. I'm Jeremy Scott with Mel Scahan. Tonight it's Native American Bigfoot on Into the Paranormal. Save your data and listen for free by calling 701-719-9703, courtesy of TalkStream Live. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Audible, with over 180,000 titles to choose from in every genre. Play them on your iPhone, Kindle, Android, and on more than 500 devices. Audible is offering you the opportunity to check out their service for free. When you go to audibletrial.com slash parabnormal, you'll get a free audiobook to download and a 30-day free trial. A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial dot com slash parabnormal. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. There's no sensor button here. Just don't tell YouTube. You're traveling into the paranormal with Jeremy Scott. Back with Mel Scahan. He's a Bigfoot guide, member of the Yakima Nation tribe, and a co-host of the Bigfoot Beast Mode show on KYNR there in uh, the Yakima Reservation. We were talking about the nest that he found out on the reservation about six years ago or so. What happened after you found it? How do you go about collecting it and then getting it uh, analyzed? On the snow nest that we were discussing earlier, um, it was just all visual. I was new to that. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just impressed by what I was finding. Uh, fast forward uh, another six, seven years, the nest that I located uh, on another part of the reservation was where I collected the hair sample that uh, was associated with the, the nest building. And um, there was only one thing that could have built this nest because uh, it had woven all the material, all the, the fine um, 
tree branches that it had used, and it was on a steep hillside, so the the lower portion of the nest was higher than the upper hillside. The the higher portion of the nest was was like around eight inches tall, somewhere right there, where the lower part of the nest was somewhere around two and a half to three feet tall. So this was a, a really significant find of, of of something that's so intricate that it took a lot of time for him to, to build this for himself or herself. So I collected the hairs and the two coworkers, different coworkers that were with me at the time, you know, saw the nest and then they, you know, I showed them the hairs and then I put them in the bag and then we continued on with our work day. And then over time, you know, people wanted to see the hairs that I collected. So I would show them and they told me that I needed to have it analyzed. And I told them, I know what these hairs are. And so I'm not going to send them out to be analyzed. I'm just going to hold on to them. Well, yeah, and how do you send them to somebody who can analyze them when there's nothing to analyze them against or compare them to? Right, and that's the specific right there is that there's nothing known about these, and so that sets them off in in another category. We know what uh, all the other animal hairs look like. We know what human hairs look like. And so that's why this separate category of comparison is associated with Sasquatch. I didn't want to to send them off, so I just held on to them. And then a ceremony had happened, and I recently started talking about this because a lot of people don't understand the Native American way and how things are done uh, to kind of help guide you through your troubled life, and there are ways that they can help you. And when I attended the ceremony, something happened to me during this ceremony that this person that was putting this uh, on said that I had something attached to me that I shouldn't have attached me and that I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing according to our ways. And uh, he told me what I had. I, this gentleman didn't know who I was. He didn't know what I had. But he told me I had hairs and that the hairs that I had collected, the Sasquatch that came into the ceremony wanted them back because he did not want to be known. And... To have somebody who came from the middle part of the country onto the reservation and tell me this was was absolutely mind-blowing to me. And then he gave me the steps that I had to do in order to correct what I had done. And uh, so I, it took some time to collect the items. I went back out to the site and did the ceremony that he asked me, gave me the steps to do. And then after I finished the ceremony, uh, presenting the hairs back to its rightful owner, and he never told me to do this. I just, I just did it, and I said to myself, "Is this what you wanted? Are we clear? Are we good? I'm giving you back what you want." And I wasn't expecting anything, but from down below me, uh, from the collection area, I had a howl that went on for 15 seconds. And there was only one thing that howled like that. And uh, I was beside myself after after this. And I just told him, I said, okay, I, guess, I don't speak Sasquatch, but I guess that means we're, we are good. And uh, so that's how I knew in the Native American way, in this aspect, and not a lot of people believe in this, but that's how I knew what I had done to put harm and trying to make him known he didn't want it and me correcting it and giving it back to him so that nobody else will have 
some type of a file on him, basically. And so ever since then, it has changed me as far as um, somebody who, who's in this area now. And that's what I try to pass on to other researchers as well. And that was what I tried to tell the people in the uh, Expedition Bigfoot show, that you have to be careful when you're out here because in certain aspects, you are seeking something that doesn't want to be found. And the best thing for anybody is to find out who they are and why they are doing it. And once you once you find the connection between the two of you, you don't have to prove it to anybody else anymore. You've proven it to yourself. The questions that you've had since you first heard a sound or smelled them or, or partially visualized them uh, out in the woods or, or any other environment. And so that's what I tried to tell them to be careful of what they do out there. Did they heed your warning? Um, I've been watching the show, but no, they, you know, they they went out and tried to collect the evidence that they needed to prove to themselves, and then try to present to everybody else. And hopefully, when when they're all said and done with it, they'll return it. Yes, yes, I hope they do. Uh, and uh, but you know, it it, it took me uh, almost. 16, 17 years for me to find that path. So, it, you know, somebody may find it with uh, in a shorter period of time or some others may take even longer to find that path of, uh, you know, respecting who these people are that are out there. How was it like being on the on the show? Oh, I had a great time. Um, got to meet Bryce, and who did the interview with me, and I never really got to meet the rest of the cast, but uh, I knew Russell from uh, his, because he lives up here in Washington State, and he puts on his own conference with about an hour, hour and a half where I live. And so I knew a couple of the folks on the show, and uh, I've run into them since at uh, different conferences around Washington State and got to talk to them about basically uh, everything that they've done on the show and then everything that they're going to continue to do out in the the Bigfoot world. Well, Mel, I want to thank you for coming on. It certainly was uh, interesting to talk with you for uh, for a full episode instead of just uh, for 20 minutes at a time out at the Oregon Bigfoot Festival. But I certainly uh, enjoy talking with you out there as well, and we'll do it again in July. Yes, yes, in July at the Oregon Bigfoot Festival, which is going to be in a bigger event. And then here uh, on the Yakima Reservation, we we also put on a Bigfoot conference April 17th and 18th, and uh, tickets will be available for that soon. Uh, We have... uh, uh, a guest list that we're still putting together, and hopefully it will be out within the week. And uh, looking forward for people to come visit me on my reservation, and then I could share my knowledge of the area. Where are we going to be able to find that information when it's uh, available, Mel? Uh, it's called the Yakima Bigfoot Con, and uh, they have a Facebook page. You can also go to the Yakima Chamber of Commerce uh, webpage. They have an advertisement for there. If you want to become a vendor, uh, we have applications for that, and uh, it's going to be at the Legends Casino here on the reservation, which has a hotel. So um, we're trying to put packages together for people to stay there while the conference is going on. All right, fantastic. That's uh, Mel Skahan of the Yakima Nation Tribe, a co-host of the Bigfoot Beast Mode show on KYNR. And, of course, you've seen him on Expedition Bigfoot there on the Travel Channel. Mel, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me and looking forward to our future visits. And me as well, Mel. It certainly uh, does have quite a history. Native American and Bigfoot. They collided here tonight on the show. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep here in the remote Pacific Northwest. I will talk to you next time here on this program.
into the Parabnormal. We thank you so much for listening and for supporting us and buying from the Parabnormal store and making us number six on TalkStream Live's Paranormal Radio app. Good night. Into the Parabnormal. Thank you for supporting our advertisers. It keeps the show free for everyone. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror? How do you like to learn the secret to losing three to five pounds a week without joining the gym or going through any crazy diets? It's called Body Sculpt RX. For the last two decades, we've helped countless people lose thousands of pounds. And now... It's your turn. Learn how to lose weight with one simple phone call and no prescription needed. You'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us? We'll offer you a risk-free money-back guarantee. So if you're ready to start losing weight, call right now and get a free month supply with your first order of Body Sculpt RX. Call now. You have nothing to lose but the pounds. 800-395-4207. 800-395-4207. 800 395 4207. That's 800 395 4207. You've heard me talking about My Patriot Supply for a while, and things aren't getting any easier. From global conflicts and unstable supply chains, when shelves run on empty, you don't have to panic. Choose peace of mind with their three-month emergency food supply to keep your shelves and your stomach full. In an emergency, you won't have the time, resources, and ingredients to prepare your meals in the way you're used to. But you can get a leg up with My Patriot Supply. It's a three-month emergency food supply. You don't have to skimp. It's ready when you are. It's disaster-proof. And no food boredom here. 20-plus flavorful food and drink varieties. My Patriot Supply is offering a special deal for Into the Parabnormal listeners when you go to parabnormalradio.com slash food. Get your My Patriot Supply today from parabnormalradio.com slash food. That's parabnormalradio.com slash food.